0: Thanks, guys. It's good to praise God together, isn't it? Amen. Amen. Um, good morning. Thank you for uh, letting me come back and talk to you again this week and get kicked out last week. So I think, I think we're okay. Um, <laughs> I, before I get started with our text this morning, I'm going to show you some pictures up on the screen. And I want you to just look at them and think to yourself what they have in common. Okay, so got some different things up here. Anyone have a anyone have a guess? What are they, Mike? There's much more that you can't see than you can see you actually see. Ding ding, right there. All right, <laughs> good job. Uh, yeah, there's there's a lot going on below the surface of these pictures. Uh, they, don't, they don't tell the whole story when you look at them. Now, in order to get the whole story, to get to the reality of what's being shown, you, ha- you have to go below the surface, right? You have to look and see what else there is. And our Christian fellowship with one another is like these pictures sometimes. Uh, we, we interact at the level of what we can see and what we're willing to show one another. And sometimes it's, that's a lot, and sometimes it's not very much. But if we're willing to go deeper, to so go below the surface of that regular, everyday interaction, then we can get into the realm of true fellowship, and we can find encouragement for living the Christian life. Our text today is Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through chapter 3, verse 1, and it's a passage that, um, if I'm being honest with you guys, I have kind of breezed right by in the past because. Um, Well, you'll see when we read it. Uh, It's one that that maybe is kind of easy to overlook. So why don't you turn there in your Bibles if you like, or it's going to be up here on the screen, and you can follow along as I read it to you. But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. For they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know of his proven worth, that he served me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. Therefore, I hope to send him immediately, as soon as I see how things go with me. And I trust in the Lord that I myself also will be coming shortly. But I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my need. Because he was longing for you all, and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick to the point of death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I have sent him all the more eagerly, so that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and I may be less concerned about you. Receive him then in the Lord with all joy, and hold men like him in high regard. Because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble to me, and it is a safeguard to you. As I was studying and preparing for this sermon, I began to see that while on the surface this passage kind of seems like um, just a, a little side note that Paul slipped into the letter about some coming visitors uh, when we look deeper, we can see that this can also be valuable instruction to us about fellowship. Now, Paul trusted that the Philippians' fellowship with Timothy and Epaphroditus would be a source of encouragement for them and that it would help them as they continued their work uh, spreading the gospel. And the same is true for us. The Lord can use our, our fellowship with one another to encourage us as we do the work of living um, in ways that honor Christ and, and spreading the gospel with others. How does, how does this work? You might be asking. Well, I'm going to tell you. This passage uh, suggests several ways that that works and, um, and how we can receive uh, encouragement through authentic fellowship with one another. First of all, the Lord encourages us through fellowship by giving us examples of faithfulness. Let's look again at what Paul had to say about these two men, Timothy and Epaphroditus. And we can glean from the text that both of these men had previous relationships with the the church in Philippi. And in fact, if you go back to the book of Acts and read in chapter 16, you can see that Timothy was with Paul when Paul established the church in that city. And Paul and his companions spent enough time there that they were able to form a close bond with, with the people in the city there. And Epaphroditus apparently had such a relationship with the the people in Philippi that Paul expected his visit with them would be a source of great joy. So what do exactly the Philippians know about these two men? Well, first, in verse 22, Paul says about Timothy, I have no one else of kindred spirit who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know of his proven worth— that he served me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. It seems like Paul was surrounded by people who had more concern for themselves than for uh, being faithful to Christ. And Paul says as much back in chapter 1, verse, 30, or verse 15 and following, when he is talking about the state of affairs among the believers in Rome where he was in prison. He said in verse 15, some to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife. They proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. Now, in contrast, Timothy had served alongside Paul faithfully for years, and Paul speaks of him as a kindred spirit, someone who is genuinely concerned about the Philippians. It's also clear that Epaphroditus was an example of faithfulness. Paul stated in verse 30 that he came close to death for the work of Christ and risked risked his life to serve Paul when the Philippians were unable to. Now, what it doesn't say is that Epaphroditus delivered a gift from the church in Philippi to Paul in Rome in prison. And this was a distance of about 1,200 miles. He traveled this distance while he was sick, and the route that he would have taken, it could have taken up to a couple of months for him to get there. So he was traveling very ill to take this gift from the Philippians to Paul. I'm going to talk about faithfulness. When I'm sick, I don't want to get out of bed, let alone travel halfway across the earth to deliver a gift for someone else that's not even from me. So, it's no wonder that Paul said in verse 29 that the Philippians should hold Epaphroditus and men like him in high regard. Now, Paul went out of his way to send these two guys while he was in prison, and he chose two particular men who had track records of faithful service. Why would this have been an encouragement to the Philippians? Well, we talked last week about some of the difficulties that the, the Church of Philippi would have been having. Uh, they, were, they were being persecuted. And if you remember back in chapter 1, verses 29 and 30, Paul acknowledged that the Philippians were going through some of the same struggles that he was having. Um, so they were, they were being persecuted. They were being opposed by the people in their city because of the gospel of Christ. So Paul was giving the Philippians these two living examples of what it means to be faithful in order to encourage them in the middle of their struggle. Now, to give you a, a little bit of an idea of what that encouragement might look like for us, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just give you an example. I once went to a bridal shower. And this was a, a shower for a dear friend. And at the party, we did the usual things. There were kind of stupid games and um, we opened presents and, you know, girl talk, chit-chat. We talked about how the fiancé proposed and what the, what the plans for the wedding were and where they were going for their honeymoon, all that kind of stuff. But the thing that I really remember was that at some point during the shower, there, those of us who were already married were asked to give some advice to this woman about what it looks like to maintain a successful marriage over time. She wanted to learn from people who had been in her shoes and see if they had some ideas for how to successfully navigate some of the the pitfalls that are inherent in joining two lives together. Some of the women at the party had been married for many years, and they they had a lot of advice about how to faithfully maintain a marriage through some of the inevitable tough times that were ahead. We all understood, those of us who were already married there, we understood that marriage can be um, joyful, but it can also be difficult. And so we shared our experiences with this woman in order to encourage her. Now, over the years since that shower, my friend mentioned the advice that she received from those who shared there. And I know that some of it has been helpful to her and that as she's gone through her own struggles, she's been able to draw on some of that wisdom that she received it's the same for us when we share our stories of faithful christian service with one another we can encourage each other to persevere through our struggles in following christ and spreading the gospel now in order for this to work however our fellowship must be authentic we cannot be encouraged in faithfulness if we never hear about that faithfulness and we won't hear about the faithfulness of others If our interactions just stay at the level of "Hey, Mike, how's it going? Good morning. Good. Have a good week. Yeah. Oh, great. I'm I'm glad to hear that. Hey, there's cake. Yeah. Yeah. I'm gonna go get some cake. Have a good week. That's not gonna work. That's not gonna get us to the deeper level. Now, I'm not saying that every interaction we have is gonna be this deep theological conversation where we bare our souls. But sometimes we should be going there. Now, there are lots of examples of what this looks like, uh, what authentic fellowship looks like in the scripture. In Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, we can see a description of the, the Christians in the early church. They spent time together devoted to teaching, fellowship, sharing meals, praying, caring for each other's needs, and praising God. And I'm sure that not all of their conversations were profound theological discussions about, about the Trinity or, you know, all those things. But they were doing life together on a regular basis. And obviously, they were very close with one another. And in that kind of fellowship, the sharing of stories and of struggles and triumphs is inevitable. Now John, 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 7 So in other words, our ability to have fellowship with each other flows out of our fellowship with Christ. And it makes sense that we would need to have that relationship with God first before we can have it with others. And our experiences of being fellowship being in fellowship with God over time, that's what we need to be sharing with each other and encouraging each other with. Hebrews chapter 10 verses 24 and 25 says that Christians should be spurring one another on toward love and good deeds and encouraging one another. And how else can we do this but through our interactions? The best way for us to have this kind of fellowship that spurs us on and encourages us is by being intentional, taking the time to find out other people's stories, especially those people who have long histories of faithful service to the Lord. During our fellowship hour, please, by all means, catch up with your friends. Have your snack. But occasionally, take time to be purposeful in your conversations with other people. Share things that are real about your life and about your struggles and your joys in following Jesus. This will take some vulnerability, and it will take some courage. But, in the long run, it will be worth it. Now, another great place to have this kind of fellowship is within a small group. And if you're uncomfortable in um, that Sunday morning fellowship hour, maybe you don't really like to strike up conversations with people you don't know, that's okay. A small group is a great place. It's a less threatening venue where you can really get into those relationships. You can take the time to talk and listen to one another's stories. So if you're not in a small group, I encourage you to find one. And you can talk to me, you can talk to James um, about how to get into one of those. We have several here going through the church. So it seems clear that we can be encouraged through fellowship by hearing about the faithfulness of others. But authentic fellowship also allows us to learn encouraging things about the Lord and about his love for us. The Lord encourages us through fellowship by reassuring us of his goodness. Our passage from Philippians illustrates this truth for us in a couple of ways. In verse 24, Paul makes an important statement. He says, I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. Now, remember that Paul was in prison at this time. He'd been there for a couple of years. And he had already stated that he, he didn't know exactly what the outcome of that imprisonment would be. But he was so confident in the Lord's goodness and in his mercy that he stated the thought that he'd be coming soon not as a hope, but as a certainty. And his second expression of God's goodness comes a few verses later when he's talking about Epaphroditus and his illness. He said, God had mercy on the gravely ill man, not only on him, Epaphroditus, but on Paul also. To spare Paul sorrow upon sorrow. Now, think about that. Paul stated that God spared Epaphroditus's life in part to spare Paul from sorrow. He knew, God knew that Paul was experiencing trouble. He was experiencing sorrow and hardship in his imprisonment and persecution. And he knew that Epaphroditus's death would grieve Paul even more. And so, among other reasons, Epaphroditus was spared. Let's talk about goodness. It's fairly easy to find examples of how this kind of encouragement would play out for us. Most of us can think of at least one story of, of how God did something good in our lives or in the lives of someone we know. Raise your hand if you were here back in 2004 when Bruce England came back to church after his his horrible accident. Who remembers that? Now, if you weren't here, I'm going to fill you in a little bit. While he was working at his job in a warehouse, Bruce's legs were crushed by falling materials. He suffered massive injuries. And there was a very real possibility that he might lose his legs, or even his life. And as a congregation, we went to our knees for months on Bruce's behalf and on behalf of his family as he endured dozens, of, almost about a dozen surgeries, right, Bruce? Yeah. And he spent close to a year doing painful physical therapy. We worried about Bruce and we prayed for him and we prayed for the kids that were still at home. And there were times when we wondered if Bruce was going to make it. So you better believe that when Bruce <laughs> when he walks through those doors we rejoiced As church as a congregation we celebrated God's goodness The fact that Bruce was able to walk in here showed us tangibly showed us God's goodness and his mercy when we saw that Bruce not only was able to live, but to walk. Now, it can be easy at times for us to become discouraged in our Christian walk. It's disheartening when we see friends and neighbors and family members who don't know the Lord rejecting Jesus again and again, making poor choices. And we get tired and bad things happen. We forget that we have an almighty Savior God with us. So stories like Bruce's can remind us of God's goodness and serve to give us hope and encouragement when we go through our own trials. Now, throughout Scripture, there are numerous examples of times when the act of remembering the miraculous works of the Lord served as an encouragement to the people. Over and over, the Israelites were instructed to remember God's mighty works in bringing them out of Egypt. And back in Deuteronomy 7:17, 7, when being given the law and told that they would take possession of the promised land from those who currently inhabit it, Moses said this to the people. He said, "You may say to yourselves, these nations are stronger than we are. How can we drive them out? But do not be afraid of them. Remember well that the Lord your God, what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and to all Egypt, you saw with your own eyes the great trials, the signs and wonders, the mighty hand and outstretched arm with which the Lord your God brought you out. The Lord your God will do the same to all peoples you now fear. Reminding themselves of God's goodness gave them the courage they needed to face many armies that, they would, that would oppose them. And in Psalm chapter 30, Psalm 30, David praises the Lord for rescuing him from his enemies, saying, You turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy, that my heart may sing your praises and not be silent. In Psalm 94, verses 17 through 19, the author says, Unless the Lord had given me help, I would soon have dwelt in the silence of death. When I said, My foot is slipping, your unfailing love, Lord, supported me. When anxiety was great within me, your consolation brought me joy. The memory of God's goodness was a source of encouragement in each one of those examples, and there are many, many more. I realize that not every story of God's goodness will be as dramatic as Bruce's story, or as the Israelites' story. But we each have our examples, and they're powerful. We have our own stories of how God has shown his goodness in our lives. And as a result, we can be sources of encouragement for one another. I challenge you to take the time to ask other people about the evidence of God's goodness in your life, or in their lives, and to freely share the stories of his goodness in your own. Now, As we have seen, when we make time for authentic fellowship, we can be encouraged in many ways. And one of the best of those ways is when our fellowship leads us to joy. The Lord encourages us through fellowship by giving us joy in our relationships with one another. In our passage in Philippians, we read that Paul was convinced that the Philippians' fellowship with Timothy and Epaphroditus would lead them to joy. But not just to them in Philippi, but also it would lead Paul to joy. In verse 19, he stated that part of his motivation for sending Timothy was that when Timothy reported back to Paul about the Philippians, the news would be a source of joy for Paul. So even though Paul himself couldn't be there with, him, with, with the Philippians, he could have some vicarious fellowship with them through Timothy. He wrote of Epaphroditus' impending visit in verses 28 and 29, saying, I have sent him all the more eagerly, so that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and I may be less concerned about you. Receive him then, in the Lord, with all joy. According to verse 26, the believers in Philippi had heard about Epaphroditus' illness, and naturally, they were worried about him. So being able to see him again and be reassured of his good health would give them joy. And then Paul and Paul repeatedly reminded the Philippians throughout his letter to rejoice in the Lord. And then in chapter 3 verse 1, he called his instruction to rejoice a safeguard for the Philippians, saying, "Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble to me and it is a safeguard to you." Now, the first thing that came to my mind when I read that was a safeguard against what? In order to answer the question, we have to look at the context of the instruction. So just prior to that section of of Scripture that we're looking at today, Paul gave some very important directions to the Philippians about how they should be behaving in the midst of the pagan city that they lived. And Paul says in chapter 2, verses 14 through 18, "...do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure." this instruction that he's giving, it's a little bit of an elaboration about what we talked about last week, how to conduct themselves, right? But he's adding in here this instruction to rejoice, and it's, it's a mutual rejoicing that he's talking about, both Paul and the Philippians together. And it's a rejoicing that happens despite his imprisonment and despite their circumstances of being immersed in a, a hostile culture. And their ability to rejoice rather than to grumble and complain is what sets them apart, and it makes them shine like stars in their generation. So in chapter 3, verse 1, Paul's saying that their capacity for joy in the Lord safeguards them against becoming like the prevailing culture around them. The rejoicing in the Lord that we find through fellowship can encourage us and give us strength in the midst of our struggles and circumstances as well. Now, Way back when I first went to college, uh, the first time, I'm in college now, but the first time when I went to my undergrad, I went far away. I was from Portland, Oregon, and I went to Beloit, Wisconsin, if you can see very well, but that's a distance of about 2,000 miles now, having lived in the same house my whole life, I was excited about the adventure. I was excited to go see pl- new places and be independent and be on my own for a bit. But I got there, I missed my family. I missed my home. I missed my friends. I'm a lot. And add to the distance, the fact that the school that I was at had very little in the way of any kind of spiritual or religious community, and you had uh, one unhappy teenager. Um, and i I struggled I struggled with with missing my people back home, but I also struggled with not having any real Christian fellowship where I was at and in the midst of my homesickness, my dear friend Peggy and her younger brother Michael came to Chicago so that Michael could look at a couple of colleges there. Now, Chicago was only about 90 miles from Beloit, so I was able to hop on a bus and go down to Chicago to meet with them and um, spend the day with them. So we went out to lunch, and we did all the touristy things that you do, and we just enjoyed each other's company. And right before I left, we prayed with each other. And When those few hours were over and I got back on the bus to go to school, I rejoiced because I had been encouraged. It was like having a little bit of home that I could take back to school with me. And I was able to go through the rest of the school year without being too homesick because of that time that I had with them. And the scriptures show us that joy can be a source of strength and encouragement that enables us to continue working for the Lord. Nehemiah says as much to the Israelites back in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10. The exiled Israelites had returned to the land, and they had a great deal of work to do in rebuilding the infrastructure, and they had a number of setbacks along the way. Their numbers were few, and when they finally assembled after the wall was rebuilt... And they came together to hear the law read and explained to them. They wept with grief over their shortcomings. Nehemiah and the rest of the priests and Levites encouraged them to rejoice, instead saying, Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The leaders knew that the people needed strength to continue their work. And they also knew that great strength comes from the joy of the Lord. Proverbs 17.22 says, A joyful heart is good medicine. People who have joy in their hearts are a pleasure to be around. We feel stronger and more joyful ourselves when we spend time with them. And being around those people, people who have the joy of the Lord, it's inspiring and it's refreshing. Their joy is contagious. But the important thing to note is that You have to be with someone who is joyful in order for their joy to spread. You have to be in fellowship with them. Jesus spoke about about this joy to his disciples. He talked about the joy that they would experience when they were reunited with him after his death. In John chapter 16, he says, Therefore, you too will have grief now, but I will see you again. And your heart will rejoice, and no one will take your joy away from you. That promise was realized for them after the resurrection, when Jesus appeared to them in the, in the room where they were hiding. In John chapter 20, verses 19 and 20, he says, So when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side, and the disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Paul speaks about the joy that comes from seeing other believers face to face as well. In Romans chapter 15, he's writing to the believers in Rome, and he's talking about his hope to come and see them soon. He says in verse 31, Pray with me that I may be kept safe from the unbelievers in Judea, and that the contribution I take to Jerusalem may be favorably received by the Lord's people there, so that I may come to you with joy by God's will, and in your company be refreshed. He anticipated that his visit with them would be joyful, and that he would be reinvigorated by their fellowship. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 4, Paul writes to Timothy, I long to see you, so that I may be filled with joy. Remember, Paul considered Timothy a kind of spiritual son, and the men had spent a great deal of time together throughout Paul's missionary travels, and Paul knew that their reunion together would be joyful whenever it happened. John the Apostle wrote about the joy of fellowship as well. In 2 John verse 12, he said, I have much to write to you, but I do not want to use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to visit you and talk with you face to face, so that our joy may be complete. John understood that joy comes from our face-to-face interactions with other believers. We Christians are not citizens of this world. We're citizens of heaven. And our fellowship with one another is like having a little piece of our true home that we can keep with us and hold on to throughout the week. I challenge you to enter your time spent with other believers with the expectation that the joy of true fellowship, fellowship that goes beyond the surface, will be a source of strength and encouragement to you. And then remind yourself of that joy when you're away from the fellowship and rely on the strength that it gives you to help you through the challenges of pursuing Christ and spreading the gospel in an unbelieving world. In the midst of our busy lives and our many distractions and concerns, it's easy to let our time spent together stay right at the surface level of interaction. However, when we do this, we miss out on the blessings and encouragements that come from true fellowship. I want you to think back to those pictures that I showed you at the beginning. Take another look and see how much there is to be found beneath the surface. Each one of us is like that iceberg or the potato plant. There's so much more to us than can be seen at a glance or at a, a brief interaction. But if we're willing to go deeper than the surface level in our fellowship with one another, we can begin to experience the benefits of true, authentic fellowship. Being genuine in our interactions with one another can be a source of encouragement. Through our authentic fellowship, we can see in other people examples of faithful service. We can see and be reminded of God's goodness. And we can have joy and receive joy and give joy to others by spending quality time with one another. So my challenge to you as you go from here is to go beyond that surface-level interaction. Allow yourself to be vulnerable. Take time to listen to other people's stories. And the, inter- the inspiration, reassurance, and joy that you receive from those interactions will be an encouragement to you as you continue to serve the Lord and to do his work. Let me pray. Lord, I thank you that you put us in fellowship with one another. I thank you that that you use that fellowship to encourage us and to strengthen us, to remind us of how good you are. I pray, Lord, that you would be with each one of us, that you would help us to be vulnerable, that you would help us to be courageous in our interactions with one another, and that you would use those interactions to bless us as we go out into the world and spread your gospel. We love you so much, Lord. And we pray in your name, amen.